أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم على سيد الأولين والآخرين سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We send peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم upon his family, his companions, and those who follow them until the end of time. Uh, brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to our weekly gathering here at the ICNYU. For those of you who are currently uh, on Instagram, you can visit on Instagram ICNYU, Islamic Center of New York University, and you can join us here, alhamdulillah, as well, uh, with some incredible people on our Zoom um, gathering that happens every week uh, at the ICNYU. Alhamdulillah, we've been reading through Manahaj al-Abidin of Sayyidina Imam al-Ghazari radiallahu uh, anhu and we're going through the first obstacle in the seven obstacles that he talks about in trying to achieve a life of, a life of faith and devotion. And we stopped at this part where he begins to answer a very important question. And he says, نَفْعَنَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى بِعِلْمِهِ فِي دَارِنِ آمِينَ قَالَ رَحِيمُهُ اللَّهُ فَعْلَمَ أَنَّ الْعُلُومَ الَّتِي طَرَبَهَا فَرْضٌ فِي الْجُمْلَةِ ثَلَاثَةُ عِلْمِ ثَلَاثَةُ excuse me. He says you have to know أَنَّ الْعُلُومَ الَّتِي طَرَبَهَا فَرْضٌ فَرْضٌ فِي الْجُمْلَةِ you have to know that the, the knowledges that are obligatory upon you to seek. So no matter who you are, he's not talking now to scholars, right? He's not talking to ulama. He's just talking to regular people, right? Which are the masses of the Muslims. One of the greatest challenges that faces Muslims is they believe that the majority of Islam is restricted solely to scholars. But this actually is a mistake. The majority of Islam is speaking to just Regular folks. That's why Sayyidina Imam Ar-Razi in uh, his Tafsir al-Kabir, he talks about this, how the verses of the Qur'an, that the majority of the verses of the Qur'an can be understood by anybody. Be understood by anybody. So the Shaykh, he says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْعُلُومَ الَّتِي طَلَبُوهَا فَرْضٌ فَالْجُمْلَةِ ثَلَاثَةٌ That you have to know that the religious fields of study which are obligatory upon you are generally three. He says, number one, ilmu tawheed Aqeedah. And Aqeedah, the obligatory understanding of studying theology, means first and foremost, what do I have to study to make sure that my faith is correct? Right? What are those foundational things that you and I have to know that will, inshallah, grant us Jannah and will allow us to experience the Ridwan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's the first component of studying theology. The second is mentioned by scholars like Imam al Bayjuri, Ibrahim al Bayjuri, Sheikh al Azhar, around 200 years ago, and others before him, of course is that within our lives, we're going to come across doubts. It happens to people, 
May Allah protect us, but it happens from time to time. People may come across issues, maybe not even doubtful, but they're just a little bit confused about what's the answer or how do I understand this? So at that moment, that particular issue, for that particular person, it becomes an obligation for him or her to ask. MashaAllah. Not to be quiet. You know, I remember growing up in the church and I asked a few questions. I asked this question. I said, if Jesus is the key to heaven, if worshiping and believing in Jesus is the key to heaven, the key to salvation, then what about the prophets who came before him? They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't worship Jesus. They didn't pray to Jesus. And I was told by my, my Sunday school teacher, this question is from, from the devil. Like this is a question which has been inspired by, by Satan himself. Imagine I was like pretty young, how I felt. I felt horrible, like man. Like Satan is already, you know, up in me and I'm, I'm such a young age. And unfortunately, sometimes we run into Muslims and once is enough who have met religious teachers or educators who also discourage them from asking questions. Subhanallah. And I tell the same story, but I'm going to mention it again for new students that we actually have a rule in my halaqa that you're not allowed to say you're sorry for asking a question. Why? Why should someone be sorry for asking a question which may be extremely important to his or her growth, alhamdulillah, and development as a person? So alhamdulillah, the, the, the first knowledge that we have to know is the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then whatever we need to know to be safe in the hereafter, generally, that Allah has no partners, the Prophet is the final Prophet, so on and so forth, belief in the hereafter, that's incumbent upon every single one of us to learn. The second is, throughout my life, if I come across questions, whether from people around me who I am responsible, right, who I am responsible for teaching, or maybe as a new Muslim, I have non-Muslims around me. Or maybe I have co-workers or friends, subhanAllah, who want to know about Islam. At that moment, it becomes an obligation upon me to learn. To be able to ask, answer my own questions and, quest and answer the questions of others. We know in the authentic hadith, related by Imam Muslim, that a man came to the blessed, blessed Messenger, peace be upon him. And he said, O Messenger of Allah, I have a question which is so, so bad. It's too bad to even mention. And he meant he had some, some issues in his heart that were bothering him, related to faith. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, really? Like, really? You have these kind of like thoughts? He said, yeah. He said, iman He said, that's pure faith. That's, that's pure faith. The fact that you're battling, trying to ask questions, trying to engage, and trying to grow, falhamdulillah, 
This is the, 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 the sign of a believer. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So we should also remind people that doubts are often the sign of an internal tug of war between faith and life. Faith and surroundings. Faith and doubt. So the fact that you're struggling, right, the fact that you're asking these questions is indicative that you are a mu'min that you are struggling to keep your head above water in the deep seas of the dunya. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. So therefore, it's incumbent when we hire Islamic studies teachers, when we allow people to teach, we give them the trust of teaching us and teaching our kids, we should ask them in the job interview, how do you feel about questions? Like, how do you feel about being even challenged? And they should be honest, and that should be something that's evaluated in their performance. That, are you welcoming questions? Are you creating a space where people feel they can ask those questions? Then the Shaykh, he says, وَعِلْمُ السَّيْرِ أَعَنِّ بِهِ مَا يَتَعَلَّقُوا بِالْقَلْبِ وَمُسَاعِيهِ he said, the second knowledge that you have to learn is the knowledge of the path, the knowledge of the heart. Everything has a means of transportation. And the means of transportation to having a relationship with Allah is the heart. The Quran says that the heart, hearts are blind. We ask Allah subhanahu wa to bless and protect our brothers and sisters in India, in Gaza, and all over the world. Why is the heart called the heart? Because the word qalb means to change. Yang qalib. That's why in Palestine, hawrarah Allah, the famous dish is ma'luba, maqluba, because you turn it upside down. So the heart is always, you know, in a state of flux. So what are the things I need to learn, alhamdulillah, to keep my heart strong, to keep my heart firm in the face of the brittle rushing waters of the dunya? The science of the heart gives us anchorage, makes us whole. Hmm. Then he says, وَعِلْمُ الشَّرِعَةِ وَعِلْمُ الشَّرِعَةِ means knowing the commands of Allah and the prohibitions of Allah. Knowing the commands of the Prophet ﷺ and being aware of what the Prophet ﷺ prohibited. Knowing what the ulama have recognized as sources of guidance and acts of guidance and being aware of what the ulama have recognized as sources of misguidance and evil. This is Ilm al-Sharia. Then he says, Then how much of these do you need to learn from each of these? So 
He says that what you need to know with regards to aqidah are those things which allow you to understand the foundations of Usuluddin. What are the foundations of Usuluddin? 50 obligations. Khamsin. 50 things we have to know about Allah and His Prophets. Most of you already know them, alhamdulillah. Yani, most people, Allah is one. Most people know that Allah exists. Most people know that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like creation. Creation is not like Allah. We believe about the angels. As Sayyidina Imam al-Marzuqi says, that we believe about the prophets. As-Sidq wal-Amana wal-Tabliq wal-Fatana these four things, that the prophets were honest, that they, they, they taught everything, mashallah, that Allah commanded them to teach, that they were trustworthy, and that they were intelligent. These are four beliefs we have about the prophets. The opposites are forbidden to believe about them, that they were liars, a'udhu billah, that they were untrustworthy, a'udhu billah, that they hid something for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent, a'udhu billah, and that they weren't honest. So the total number of obligations to the prophets are eight. Four we affirm and four we deny. And then you add that one more, al-isma. That we believe the prophets were protected from sin. The opposite will be that they fell into sin. So ten. Ten obligations. Then we have twenty obligations due to Allah. He exists. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He's in opposition to creation. He's free, completely independent, and he's one. This is Sabah. So now 17. The opposites of those are also forbidden for us to believe. That he doesn't exist. That he was born. That he will die. That he's like creation. That he's not independent. And that he has partners. So now 14. So khalas, 10 plus 14, 24. This is how you can see it's very easy. This takes us all the way up to 20. And those 20, the opposite to those 20 will be 40. 20 things about God, the opposite is 40. 10 things about prophets, the opposite of that is going to be another. So there you see 10. So in reality, how many? MashaAllah, Khamsin, 50 things. That's it. 50 things, all you have to know. Let me explain it one more time. We believe 20 things about God. I mentioned seven of them just to teach you. The op and then those opposites we deny. So that's going to be 40. Alhamdulillah. And then we affirm five things about the prophets. And we deny five things about the prophets. So that's going to be 10. So the total is 40 plus 10 is what? 50. Khalas. The aqidah of the Muslimin is easy. Alhamdulillah. And we should keep it that way. So when the Shaykh says you have to know the obligations of Usuluddin, what he means are those 50 things. Inshallah, we taught this before at the ICNYU about three years ago. Those 50 things. You find some people said 40, so Imam Ar-Razi, he has a book, Al-Arba'in Fi Usuluddin. MashaAllah, 40 things you have to know about theology. Sayyidina Imam Al-Ghazari has Arba'in Fi Usuluddin. 40 things you have to know about Usuluddin. Now you can understand pedagogically like why they wrote these books then he continues because we have a lot to cover today mashallah 
And he explains some of these foundations of Aqeedah. Aqeedatul Muslim Sahala Li'annaha Wadha that our aqidah is a beautiful, simple aqidah, alhamdulillah. He says, Rahimahullah, wa huwa anna laka ilahan aliman qadiran muridan hayyan mutakalliman sami'an basiran wahidan la sharika lahu muttasafan bisifat al-kamari munazzahan anil nuqsani wazzawari. He says, you know what you have to believe about God basically is that Allah exists, that he's one, that he knows all, that he's all powerful, that he's all willing, that he's alive, that he speaks, that he sees, that he hears. He's one who has no partners and he is described with complete transcendence and perfection, free of any shortcomings or ever like an end of death. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Huduth, and that he has no beginning and end, as we talked about last week. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a'udhu billah. That's why Imam Ahmad al-Dardir, he says, Huduthuhum, wujuduhum, huduthuhum, wujuduhum ba'd al-adam. Right, that huduth means something is born and dies, something is created and it passes. Munfaridan bil-qidam, Allah is the only one who truly is beyond time. And from any, as we said earlier, influences, time, space, and so on. Alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah. Wa anna Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa sallam abduhu wa rasooluhu as-sadiqu fi ma jaa bihi anillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that you have to believe that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who is truthful in everything he brought. From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, مَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُحَىٰ Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَفِيمَا وَرَدَ عَلَىٰ لِسَانِهِ مِنُ أُمُورِ الْآخِرَةِ And that whatever was related truthfully, a hadith narrations, about the hereafter the Prophet can صَادِقْ فِيمَا قَالْ That he was truthful. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. ثُمَّ الْمَسَائِلِ and the next thing he says you need to know after you learn about Tawheed and about the Prophet is about the Sunnah. The word Sunnah is from a word, this is very important. Uh, the word Sunnah is from a word which means something is irsal or ittirad to allow something to flow. سَنَّنْتُ الْمَاءَ عَلَىٰ وَجِي If I pour the water on my face, سَنَّنْتُ الْمَاءَ I've allowed that water to flow on my face. This means like it flowed so much like it was smooth. Mm. There's a, a poem of Al-Hudhari, he says, فَلَا تَجْعَزَعًا مِنْ سُنَّةٍ سِرْتَهَا You know, don't be amazed by this way that you took, this smooth way. فَلَا تَجْزَعًا مِنْ سُنَّةٍ سِرْتَهَا فَأَوَّلُ رَادٍ مِنْ Sunnatin man sanna 
sunnatan aw kama qal yani an nasit but the point is the usage of the word sunnah is something smooth that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says hama'a al masnoon that we created human beings from this thing which is masnoon is smooth fahada itlaqu as sunnah fi al-lugha al-arabiyya al-qadima on something smooth Khalas, that's the language. I, ha I have that poem actually here also in front of me, I think. Ah. Fara tajza'an min sunnatin anta sirtaha. Fa'awwalu radin sunnatan man man yasiruha. So the point is, the word sunnah, its original meaning, is something smooth then later on it expanded its definition we say when someone has like really smooth skin we say right his face is smooth her face is smooth and then it was also applied to a path that people took which is smooth and then alhamdulillah yutlaqu ala and then it began to be used to a way that someone took whether theoretically or whether physically and then of course now sunnah is most known as the way of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because the way of the prophet alayhi salatu salam is going to bring about a smoothness to our soul and calm our intellect Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But Sayyidina Imam Al-Ghazali radiyallahu anhu, he says, Thumma masaila fi sha'airi sunnati tajibu ma'rifatuha. You have to know these things about the sunnah. And here, Imam al-Ghazali, what he means by the sunnah are the commands of the Prophet Those things that the Prophet commanded us to do. And those things that the Prophet encouraged us to do. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَإِيَّاكَ أَن تَبْتَدِعَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى And he says, be careful of innovating in the anything in the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, مَا لَمْ يَأْتِ بِهِ كِتَابٌ وَلَا أَثَرٌ For which there is no support from the book and the sunnah and the way of the early Muslims. فَتَكُونُ مَعَ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى عَلَىٰ أَعْظَمِ خَطَرٍ Because then you're going to find yourself in big trouble with Allah. What we want to talk about, alhamdulillah, today is the issue of bid'ah and sunnah. Because one of the things that we have to be aware of is that, and I've said this many times before, that because of Salafism, you have found a reorientation of Sunni epistemological frameworks as well as general knowledge of Sunni Islam amongst Sunni masses. And this is not to attack the Salafi 
group or people who follow the Salafi way of thinking, but to put it in its right place. That the ideas held by Salafism related to Aqidah, related to Fiqh, related to Tasawwuf, and related to Usul of Fiqh have traditionally and historically been on the margins of Sunni thought. They were always considered outliers. And then over the last 200 or so years, there's been an exchange. For whatever reason, that now mainstream Sunni thought at a public level is largely carrying ideas that were considered on the periphery of Sunni thought. And what was historically mainstream Sunni thought has now been pushed to the margins. You need to be aware of that. You don't need to make it into you against somebody or becoming an enemy or we don't need to get into conspiracy theories. But we should be aware of these things. We already have enough divisions. But these are honest academic discussions, insha'Allah ta'ala. And today may be a little deeper than what we normally do. But alhamdulillah, I have to support what I've said. And one of the periphery ideas that we see the Salafi school pushing is that every single thing introduced into religion is a bid'ah. And that whatever the Prophet ﷺ did not do equates to a bid'ah. So there are two issues that we're going to address in the next two weeks. Today, inshallah, we're going to talk about the mainstream position on bid'ah being divided into bid'ah, which is commendable, and bid'ah, which is reprehensible. This is the opinion of the mainstream Sunni community, especially since the time of the companions of the Prophet like Abdullah ibn Umar and others, as well as, MashaAllah, the four Imams, except Imam Malik radiallahu anhu. And that is that religious innovation is divided into two, Mahmuda and Madhmuma. What is considered commendable and what is considered reprehensible. The minority of Sunni scholars and jurists throughout history on the periphery were those who considered every single thing is bid'ah. Kullu muhdathatin bid'ah wa kulla bid'atin dalalah wa kulla dalalatin finnar. Based on the hadith, this hadith is authentic. They have an evidence, so we don't need to fight and argue Again, with people, they have supporting evidence for that position. We can disagree without being disagreeable. But we have to appreciate that for whatever reason, and I'll leave that to you know, sociologists and anthropologists and people involved in history, mainstream Sunni Islam is currently pushed to the margins and what was for over a thousand years marginalized and in fact sometimes considered reprehensible Forms of Sunni Islam have now taken over the mainstream. It's your job to know that, and people should teach you that. When people know that there's more than one madhab on an issue, they don't have to teach you all of those madhabs, but they should tell you 
that this issue is something which is, for example, debated, or this is something, uh, you know, uh, for which there's a number of opinions. Alhamdulillah. These are not issues which will take you to heaven and hell. These are secondary issues. This is a responsibility of teachers. But when I see somebody telling people there's only one way on an issue, that's a problem. Because now you're creating uh, a lack of flexibility in something for which the Sharia, mashallah, made flexible. Alhamdulillah. So first of all, what we're going to talk about is the word sunnah. And we're going to talk about how the word sunnah actually has three to four contexts. And then after that, insha'Allah ta'ala, we're going to talk about bid'ah, the definitions of bid'ah as provided by the majority of scholars. And then we're going to talk about the position of the majority of Sunnis, that bid'ah is divided into two parts. And each one of those parts, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, falls under one of the five rulings of Islam. Like there's a bid'ah that's wajib. There's a bid'ah which is haram. There is a bid'ah which is makruh. There is a bid'ah which is recommended. And of course, there is also a bid'ah which is permissible. Mubah, yani. So we're going to talk about that insha'Allah ta'ala. So now we see, for example, someone typing that most of the Muslims in my country are going to hell. That's impossible to believe, you know, and, and these kind of abstractions are not, not really the place for any type of real religious discussion, right? You know, we should avoid abstractions and focus on the beef. So the first is the word sunnah. As I mentioned earlier, Imam Ibn Faris Ibn Zakaria wrote one of the earlier dictionaries of Islam. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. Uh, he defines in Ma'jam al Maqayis al Lugha, volume 3, page, 100, page 44. Imam Ibn Faris, he says, Asin wa nun, aslun wa that the words seen and noon are from the foundations of the word sunnah. Khalas. وَهُوَ جُرْيَانُ الشَّيْءِ وَاتِّرَادُهُ فِي suhula. That the original meaning of the word sunnah means allow something to be run or flowed or poured in an easy way. You say, سَنَّنْتُ الْمَاءَ عَلَى وَجِهِ You pour the water, you let it flow on your face. This is the word sunnah. أَيْ أَصُنُّهُ سُنَّنْ إِذَا أَرْسَلْتَهُ إِرْسَالًا If you were to allow it, as he says, of course, he's embellishing, it's a dictionary, if you're, if you're, if you're letting it flow. Then he says, MashaAllah, ثُمَّ أُشْتَقَّ مِنْهُ أَسُنَّةً أي بِمَعْنَى السَّيْرِ Because as the water flows, when someone travels, they flow, they move over a path smoothly. Hmm. Then there's a great definition of Imam uh, Al-Azhuri. He says, وَالسُنَّةُ الطَّرِيقَةُ الْمُسْتَقِيمَةُ الْمَحْمُودَةُ Right? That the word sunnah means a smooth path. A smooth path. 
That takes us then to the definition of sunnah as found in scholarship, in theology. I have this translated. Uh, I can get it to Ahsan maybe before next week, inshallah, so we can share it here with people. Imam Ibn al-Athir. Imam Ibn al-Athir al-Shafi'i actually is an incredible scholar who wrote some text which, subhanAllah, yani yuktab like they should be written in gold. For example, Al-Usud Al-Ghaba Fi Ma'rifati Sahaba. He wrote a book that, mashallah, is a small encyclopedia of the Sahaba. Who they were, what they did, so on and so forth. He called it Lions in the Jungle. These are like lions in the dunya. Uh, he wrote another book, Jami'i Al-Usul. Allah subhanAllah, this, this book is almost 20-something volumes just of hadith from Usul al-Din. And I used to teach actually a summary of this every Friday night on Instagram Live and Facebook Live. Al-Mukhtar min al-Sunnah. The third book that he wrote out of others is a book called An-Nihaya fi gharib al-Hadith wal-Athar. We're talking about one human being here. An-Nihaya fi gharib al-Hadith wal-Athar. This actually is a dictionary of the most important words used by the Prophet in hadith, starting from Alif, Ba, Ta, Tha, Jim. So if you wanted to look up the word Sunnah, you will go to, MashaAllah, Al-Nihaya, Fi Gharib Al-Hadith Wal-Athar, under Sin Al-Nun. And then Allahu Akbar, you find this definition. He says, وَإِذَا أُطْلِقَتْ فِي الشَّرْعِ فَإِنَّمَا يُرَادُ بِهَا مَا أَمَرَ بِهِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ وَنَهَا عَنْهُ وَنَدَبَ إِلَيْهِ قَوْرًا وَفِعْلًا مِمَّا لَا يَنْطِقْ بِهِ الْكِتَابُ الْعَزِيزِ Here Imam Ibn Athir, mashallah, he's going to give kind of like a more specific definition. He said, in the epistemology of Sharia, the word Sunnah is anything that the Prophet ﷺ commanded or prohibited or encouraged related to his statements, his actions, and of course we know silence approvals, which is not found in the Quran. So understand this is one context of the definition of Sunnah. Those things which the Prophet commanded, which are not found in the Quran. Those things which he prohibited, which are not found in the Quran. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Imam al-Shatibi, he has a rather long definition of the sunnah, but I believe it's worth it for our discussion here. He says, وَيُطْلَقُ لَفْثُ السُنَّةِ عَلَى مَا جَاءَ مَنْقُولًا عَنِ النَّبِيِّ Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam عَلَى الْخُصُوصِ And here we see Shatibi, he does something. He says that the word sunnah is anything which has been narrated from the Prophet ﷺ, and that is the specific definition. What, what, what Imam Ibn Athir gave earlier, anything outside of what's in the Qur'an. So that's one component of the definition. 
مما لا ينص عليه في الكتاب العزيز as I just mentioned ويطلق أيضا في مقابلة البدع in أحسن since you're taking notes this is the second context of the word sunnah is that it is the anonym of innovation so the first application of sunnah or the first understanding of sunnah is anything not found in the Quran which the Prophet has commanded or encouraged or prohibited or you know discouraged the second are those things that the sunnah as in opposition to bid'ah religious innovation ma yuqabilu al-bid'ah and that's why we say fulan hadha ala sunnah means orthodoxy that this person is on the sunnah idha amila ala wafqi ma amila alayhi an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam صلى الله عليه وسلم كان ذلك ممن نص, نص عليه في الكتاب أو لا whether that is mentioned uh, 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 in the Quran or not so this, this second application of bid'ah means it could be in contradiction to the Quran for example people who say that the sunnah is not revelation this is bid'ah they are not now considered from ahl sunnah they are ahl hawa they follow their own desires. Number two, if it runs counter to something established as authentic and its application is authentic in hadith. So the word bid'ah can mean bid'ah in relationship to the Quran or bid'ah in relationship to the sunnah. Khalas. So the first application of the sunnah are those things the Prophet commanded or prohibited or encouraged or discouraged outside of the Quran. What Imam al-Shafi'i calls an al-risara bayan al-Qur'an that the sunnah now is explaining the Qur'an yufassir al-Qur'an Sayyidina Muhammad s.a.w. yufassir al-Qur'an number two that which is in opposition to religious heterodoxy al-bid'ah whether the Qur'an or in hadith then he says for example, you say Fulan ala bid'a, right? This person is following innovation. Ida amila ala khilafi dharika. The third, he says. ويطلق أيضا لفظ السنة على ما عمل عليه الصحابة وجد ذلك في الكتاب أو السنة أم لم أو لم يوجد لكون اتباعا لسنة ثبتت عندهم لم تنقل إلينا أو اجتهادا مجتمعا عليه منهم أو من خلفائهم فَإِنَّ إِجْمَاعَهُمْ إِجْمَاعٌ وَعَمَلُوا خُلَفَائِهِمْ رَاجِعٌ أَيْضًا إِلَى حَقِيقَةِ الْإِجْمَاعِ مِنْ جِيَةِ حَمْلِ النَّاسِ عَلَيْهِ 
حسب مقتضاؤه النظر المصلحي عندهم This is very important action And he says that the second or the third usage of the word sunnah or bid'ah excuse me uh, uh, sunnah afwan are the actions of the sahaba So the word sunnah also applies to the actions of the companions of the Prophet whether that act is found in the Quran or whether it's found in the sunnah or not what does he mean by or not? Because it's impossible for us to believe that they would act on something that would contradict the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ as a group. Like as a group of them to coalesce on misguidance. هَذَا لَا يُمْكِنْ Or it's related to an ijtihad that they made in order to achieve what is most beneficial for the hereafter and for the ummah mujma'an alayhi or it came from the opinions of the four khulafa because the prophet sallallahu said alaykum bi sunnati wa sunnati al khulafa ar-rashidin min ba'di so what i'm presenting to you now is sunni orthodoxy whether you accept it or not is your business Right? I'm not here to, to force you, but this is who we are. And the biggest problem I have sometimes with Muslims is they want to say, no, my position, my understanding is what Islam is. No, no, that's your, that's Islam or Herslam. That's your Islam. That's between you and God. But what we want to do is define foundations. And the foundations, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, will set us on a right course and center us. We need to know who we are. It's very difficult to, to, to argue when you don't know who you are. Now, in fact, there's, a really no, there's another beautiful statement of Sidna Imam al-Shatibi. He says in Al-Muwaffaqat, he says, وَيُعَرَّفَ السُنَّةُ أَوْ وَيُعَرِّفَ يعني العلماء السُنَّةَ بِأَنَّهَا كُلُّمَا نُقِلَ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم مما لم يأتي بيانه في القرآن الكريم. He says another definition given by the scholars, and this is going to fall under that first context, is that the Sunnah of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم is anything which has come to clarify what is in the Quran, or what the Sahaba established, whether in the Quran or within the Sunnah, but they acted on it and they did it. We understand that this falls under the generality of orthodoxy, right? Which is not innovation. To summarize and to make it easier, I'm going to give you the four contexts of Sunnah just because of time. Uh, I don't have time to go through all of them, but the first is Kullu ma jaa fil kitabi wa Sunnah. So anything found in the Quran and Sunnah is also considered Sunnah. Here, Sunnah is being used as guidance. It's guidance, right? What's correct? The third is hadith. What is found in the hadith literature of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
The third is that the Sunnah implies something which runs contradiction to religious innovation in heterodoxy. And the fourth, and this is the point of contention amongst the minority of Sunnis and the majority. And this fourth point is used by the majority. And that is, وَتُطْلَقُ السُنَّةُ وَيُرَادُ بِهَا كُلُّ مَسْتَحَبَّهُ الشَّارِعُ وَرَغَّبَ فِيهِ مِنْ غَيْرِ إِجَابٍ that the word sunnah is applied to anything that falls under the generality of what the sharia finds commendable and acceptable and encourages people to do outside of of course religious obligations waqala al-shaykh he says right this is a massive Massive area that touches on all of the recommended issues. The next word that we want to talk about is bid'ah. And because of time, I'm going to try to, to finish by 8 o'clock, inshallah, our time. The word bid'ah, as mentioned, alhamdulillah, by, uh, for example, Imam al-Raqab al-Asfahani, Uh, Imam Ibn Faris, he says, Right, so the word ba, the letter ba, da, bida'a, and ain, bada'a, are from the, the foundations of the word. As you study, mashallah, uh, um, and we have one brother here, mashallah, who's got a lot of time on his hands. May Allah bless him. Alhamdulillah. You know, I like to tell people, if you want to know how you should act in the comments box, is how you should act in a classroom. How would we conduct ourselves in front of one another? There should be no contradiction between that and how, mashallah, we conduct each other with each other. Right? It's basic etiquette. So word bid'ah is from bada'ah. Sometimes, as you'll find in the future, if you study morphology, like words have additional letters added to them to increase the meaning, the intensity of the meaning. So the shaykh, when he says ba da'in, are the original letters of the word. And he says, in just one second, you know, I have a two-year-old who now knows how to open the front door. <laughs> so I could actually see, you know, out front. Let me make sure she didn't open the front door and make a, make a move. That would be a bid'ah. Ah, she's with somebody? Okay, I thought she made, I thought she escaped. That will be a bid'ah. And what we're going to talk about now is very important, alhamdulillah. Very, very important. And he says, the word bid'ah, Ibn Faris, he says, that bid'ah means, ibtida'u shay wa san'uhu la'an mithalin. He says that the word bid'ah, means invention to bring something which has no precedent to bring something that has no likeness that's the the word bid'ah that's what Allah says in Surah Al-Ahqaf verse 9 like say to them I'm not I'm not the first messenger I'm not bid'ah min al-rusul 
right? This is not the first time this has happened. There have been other messengers who came before me. There is a precedent for this. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of the great dictionaries of Islam, if you speak Arabic, you should have this dictionary, is Misbahul Munir. Misbahul Munir, mashaAllah, is, is really a, a very important dictionary uh, in Arabic, especially for people who want kind of the more like religious, you know, definitions uh, of, of texts and the depth of language. But the writer of Misbah al-Munir, he says about the word bid'ah, Abda'allahu ta'ala al-khalq. That a great example of this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created things, there was nothing, there was no precedent. Nothing came, that's why Allah we say He is Badi'u samawati wal ard, the originator of creation. Uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you say, wa abda'ta shay'a, means that you have istakhrajatu wa ahdathatu that you've brought something that has no previous example or likeness or cause and again sahib misbah al-munir he says the verse qul ma kuntu bid'an min rasuli and then of course in surah al-baqarah verse number 117 allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says badi'u samawati wal ard khalas Then that takes us to the definition of bid'ah as found in scholarship, religious terminology. The first definition is the minority of Sunnis, as we mentioned earlier, that were always on the periphery until the birth of the Saudi state. And that is, their definition is, كُلُّ مَا يُخَالِفُ الْإِسْلَامِ Anything which is in opposition to Islam or anything new introduced into religion which is not explicitly mentioned in the text. That, that part of the definition I'm giving you. Anything introduced through religious actions only in the area of religion, not life. All the scholars agree bid'ah in the dunya is okay. We're talking about now bid'ah in religion Anything which is introduced with regards to religious practices, which is not explicitly sanctioned by the text, is bid'ah. This is the definition of the neo-Salafi school, as well as the minority of Sunni scholars from amongst them was Imam Malik. His madhab differs with him, by the way. Radiallahu anhu. And others like Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Qayyim, and others. The second definition of bid'ah was provided by Imam al-Shafi'i. As mentioned by Imam al-Bayhaqi in Sunan al-Kubra. Bi-isnad al-Sahih. Sayyidina Imam al-Shafi'i on numerous occasions, he defined bid'ah as the following. He says, and this is mentioned by Harmala ibn Yahya, who was the student of Imam al-Shafi'i. 
Sayyidina Imam al-Shafi'i said, Al-Bid'atu Bid'atan. Imam al-Shafi'i said that Bid'ah falls under two types. So now he differs with the first definition. We say, Bainahum umumun wal khususun. They agree on one thing and they diverge on one thing. They intersect on one idea, umum, khusus, and they diverge on another. They agree, they agree, right, on part of the definition, but not the other part. The other part is going to be used by Imam Shafi and the majority of Sunnis. So listen very carefully. He says, Rahimahullah, Al-Bid'atu Bid'atani Bid'atun Mahmuda wa Bid'atun Madhmuma. Imam Shafi says that Bida falls under two types. What is commendable and what is reprehensible. There is a Bida which is good and a Bida which is bad. The point here is when people attack people who say there is two types of Bida, would they attack Imam Shafi like that? Would, would they be so rude and harsh? Would they attack the majority of Sunni ulama throughout history in the way that they would attack, say, an auntie or an uncle in the masjid or a simple person? My, my position, of course, is I, I take the position of Imam Shafi'i. As we'll talk about in a minute, there's more than 14 dalia for this. But I'm not going to attack and destroy the other side. I just say, I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. So, we need to be very clear now that Imam Shafi is giving a general definition. He says, Al-bid'atu bid'atani, bid'atun madhmuma, wa bid'atun mahmuda. This is a general understanding of bid'ah, and under this are going to come five categories. We'll talk about it in a minute. Then he says, فَمَا وَافَقَ سُنَّةَ فَهُوَ مَحْمُودٌ وَمَا خَالَفَ سُنَّةَ فَهُوَ مَذْمُونٌ What aligns with the sunnah is commendable. What contradicts the sunnah is not. Sayyidina Imam al-Shafi'i in another narration from Sayyidina al-Rabi' ibn Sulaiman mentioned again by Sayyidina Imam uh, Al-Bayhaqi in As-Sunan Al-Kubra. Also, Imam Al-Dhahabi mentions it in Sierra Alam Al-Nubala. The Sayyidina Imam Shafi says, Al-Muhdathat. He says, Al-Muhdathat min umuri darban. Imam Shafi says that religious innovation falls under two types. أَحَدُهُمَا مَا أُحْدِثَ يُخَارِفُ كِتَابًا أَوْ سُنَّةً أَوْ أَثَرًا أَوْ إِجْمَاعًا That thing which is a religious innovation that contradicts the, the book, the sunnah, the way of the early Muslims, or a consensus. فَهَذِهِ لَبِدْعَةُ الضَّلَالَةِ He said this is a bid'ah which is leading people astray. وَالثَّانِيَةُ مَا أُحْدِثَ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ لَا خِلَافَ فِيهِ لِوَاحِدٍ مِنْ هَذَا فَهَذِهِ مُحْدَثَةٌ غَيْرُ مَذْمُومَةٌ He said, then those type of things which do not contradict the Qur'an, the Sunnah, the early Muslims, whatever they, they agreed upon, and finally, uh, ijma, a consensus. 
He said, this is not a bl- those are not blameworthy innovations. وَقَالَ عُمَرُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ فِي قِيَامِ الشَّهْرِ رَمَضَانِ نِعْمَةِ الْبِدْعَةُ هَذِهِ And he gave the example, we're going to talk about it maybe in the future, where Sayyidina Umar got the people together in Ramadan to pray behind one imam. And when they prayed behind one imam, he said, نِعْمَةُ الْبِدْعَةُ هَذِهِ This is a good bid'ah. Imam Shafi'i uses this to show that religious bid'ah falls into two categories, good and bad. The minority of Sunnis said, all religious bid'ah is bad. The majority of Sunnis who followed the path of Sayyidina Shafi'i, they said, no, bid'ah is defined by bad or good. We're going to talk about that in a second. Commenting on this narration of Imam al-Bayhaqi from al-Rabi' ibn Sulaiman, Al-Imam Ibn Taymiyyah said, وَهَذَا الْكَلَامُ أَوْ نَحْوُهُ رَوَاهُ الْبَيْحَقِ بِإِسْنَادِهِ الصَّحِيحِ فِي الْمَدْخَلِ يعني السُنَّ الْكُبْرَى Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, who Salafis follow, that is kind of their Imam, Rahimahullah, for the most part, although the Majumu'a Fatawi is not really based on what he wrote, it's sort of a disaster, which is another discussion, because how it was rendered into Arabic, the person who made the Majmu' al-Fatawi in Egypt and other places who came together for that work, they were not skilled in reading the handwriting of Ibn Taymiyyah. I can give you a great example of this in Majmu' al-Fatawi. If you go to the print as pushed by the, the Saudi awqaf years ago and given free, I think every masjid in America, you can find a copy of Al-Majmu' Al-Fatawi. You find a section on Ahkam Al-Kana'is Wal-Qissis, I believe. The, the chapter on churches and priests. And then as you read it, you begin to realize like, man, this is tough. It's like They should be destroyed, they should be fought, they should be ruined, they should be decimated. And this fatwa, this, this actual writing was used by the jihadist groups to justify their acts of destroying and killing non-Muslims and slaying priests. And we know in France, a few years ago, this happened, right? I met a Sheikh Zuhair Shams from Bangladesh. Sheikh Zuhair Shams used to live in Mecca. And Sheikh Zuhair Shams, his specialty is the handwriting of Ibn Taymiyyah. Subhanallah. As one of my teachers told me, Ibn Taymiyyah used to write so fast that there was no space between the letters. He has like his own shorthand, man. His own shorthand. So, Sheikh Zuhair Shams had takhassusu. So he told me what I did, I went and found the actual handwritten manuscripts of Ibn Taymiyyah. And I compared it to the Saudi print of Al-Majmu' Al-Fatawi. And I found so many discrepancies that I realized it was, a com- it was a complete fabrication of what the man actually said. You can liken it to the Bible. So I said, what do you mean? He said, you know the chapter on churches and priests? I said, yeah, that chapter is famous. It's like hot. He said in Arabic, in the writing of Ibn Taymiyyah, it doesn't say al-kana'is wal-qissis, churches and priests. It says ringis khan wal-ghasaqiq. He's talking about the Tartar, not churches. 
The actual chapter says the chapter on Genghis Khan. They didn't read it correctly. They put huh, Al Kanais churches. But it actually says Genghis Khan because they couldn't read his writing. Does that not change the entire thing? The next word, Wal Ghasaqiq, they translated that as Qisis, priests. Ibn Taymiyyah didn't say that. So that's why when you hear people say, Qala Ibn Taymiyyah fil majmu' al-fatawa, intabih. Tell them to fear Allah. They should go and read what he actually wrote. I'm, I'm not, I, I don't agree with Ibn Taymiyyah. I used to study with people who were the students of Shaykh Ibn Uthaymin, Allah yarhamu. And then I, I studied with other teachers and I changed my ideas. But this is academic fraud, man. And then he told me, I went to the Awqaf of Saudi Arabia and I said, I'm willing to do critical additions of all this and fix this disaster. And they refused. So Imam Ibn Taymiyyah is reported to have said, and this is a different book than Al-Majmu' Al-Fatawi, but you need to learn, man. And that's why when we tell people, learn, man, learn, slow down, slow down, learn, learn. No, 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 I read this, Ibn Taymiyyah. How do you know he said it? How do you know he actually said this? You don't know that. Especially if you're ta'tamid ala majmu' al-fatawi. Hada la yumkin. So Ibn Taymiyyah, he says, وَهَذَا كَلَامُ أَوْنَحُهُ رَوَاهُ الْبَيْهَقِ بِإِسْنَادٍ صَحِيهِ Ibn Taymiyyah says about the narration of Imam Shafi'i that it is a sound narration. Imam Ibn Battal al-Maliki, he says, وَالْبِدْعَةُ اِخْتِرَاعُ مَا لَمْ يَكُنْ قَبُلُ فِيمَا خَلَفَ سُنَّةِ فَهُوَ بِدْعَةٌ ضَلَالَةٌ وَمَا وَفَقَهَا فَهُوَ بِدْعَةٌ هُدَى Imam Ibn Battal, one of the great Maliki scholars who explained Al-Bukhari, he says that bid'ah is two types that, 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 that contravenes guidance and that which agrees with guidance. I'm just giving you evidence to show you how different scholars are of the opinion of the majority. That takes us now to a brief discussion, insha'Allah ta'ala, uh, on the different types of bid'ah. Mm. And here we have, of course, uh, the statement, I believe it's here, I have saved it here somewhere, of Imam Ibn Hajar radiallahu anhu, and we all know, mashaAllah, who Imam Ibn Hajar was, as well as people like Imam and Nawawi and others. So when people attack you or they, they try to uh, assail you, and that's one of the things I've always found interesting about the Salafi school, that they are so passionate about the truth except when it comes to Muslims. Like if you ask them, is the way of the Salaf to be kind? Yes, to everybody but us. Is it the way of the Salaf to be patient and open-minded? Yes, to everyone except their own Muslim brothers and sisters. In fact, I saw a lecture a few weeks ago by a person who follows that way called the permissibility to backbite Muslims. Like, why would you make that? Like, why would you give a lecture on this? Again, because the marginalized idea became the mainstream the mainstream became marginalized. And the fact that the majority of your thoughts are based on a book that has not even been properly critically edited, in fact, time and time again has shown that the statements found in Majmu' al-Fatawi, uh, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah, he didn't even say it. So imagine, based on 
bad information and bad academic research and then using that to attack your fellow brothers and sisters. Listen to Sayyidina Imam Ibn Hajr who says, وَالْبِدْعَةُ أَصْلُهَا مَا أُحْدِثَ عَلَىٰ غَيْرِ مِثَالٍ سَابِقٍ وَتُتَّقُوا فِي شَرْعِي فِي مَقَابِلِ سُنَّةِ فَتَكُونُ مَضْمُومًا Imam Ibn Hajr says something very important. Very, very important. He says that the word sunnah, that the word sunnah is applied to, uh, sorry about that, uh, my, my, I lost my Zoom folks. Okay. Listen to what Imam Ibn Hajr says. He says that the word bid'a, the foundation of it in meaning, is something which is invented, which had no precedent. And in sharia, it means, of course, what runs in opposition to the sunnah, fatakunu madhmuma, so therefore it's reprehensible. Now listen to what Imam Ibn Hajr says. He says, what taqiq, but like to think about this critically, and in reality, annaha in kanat mimma tandariju tahta mustahsinin fi shara fahiya hasana. Imam Ibn Hajr says, however, in reality, if a bid'ah falls under one of the general guidelines of the sharia that encourages an act, then it is a good bid'ah. So you see here the method of Imam Ibn Hajar is that bid'ah is two types, hasana and madhumuma. Because he said, if that innovation falls under the, indiraj means it falls under the general guidance of sharia, not the specific, then it's good. If it falls under the general guidance of something evil, then it's bad. And I'm going to give you some examples to help clarify that. Imam al-Qarafi, and we don't have a lot of time and I don't want to make this too much, he says that in this regard, bid'ah is given the five rulings of sharia. The first is wajib. He says an example of this is when the Sahaba made tadween of the Quran. When the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, when the Sahaba decided now to compile the Quran, this is bid'ah wajibah. Because if they don't compile the Quran, what will happen? The Quran will be lost. So it became an obligation. That's why when some of the Sahaba, they approached him and they told them about it, what did they say? This was never done before. Ah, this is bid'ah. The second, a bid'ah which is haram. And he says, a bid'ah which is haram is anything which undermines the obligatory acts of the Sharia. For example, Ghulam Ahmed saying he's a prophet. This is bid'ah, haram. Yani. Elijah Muhammad claimed to be a prophet. This is bid'ah, haram, muharram. Musaylamat al-Kadhab. When Qaddafi said, I have a book that's equal to the Quran. This is bid'ah, muharrama. Why? Because it undermines the foundations of the religion. When Rashid Khalifa said that there's no sunnah and the only thing we have is the Qur'an, this undermines the foundation of sharia, which is the guidance of Sayyidina Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. A third is the bid'ah which is mandubun ilayh. 
And these are the things that fall under the general principles, the qawaid of the sunnah, the qawaid of what's haram, the qawaid of what's obligatory. Those qawaid, that's the job of lawyers, of the fuqaha. We talked about qawaid in the past. An example of that is Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab bringing the people together to pray taraweeh. The fourth is a bid'ah which is makruha. And to be honest with you, the largest section of bid'ah is going to be under mandubat. Right? The permissible. Remember earlier he said uh, the recommended. Right? Those things which are recommended for us to do. Like, for example, starting Islamic Relief in the 90s as a charitable vehicle for people to give sadaqah. Sadaqah is a sunnah. To give sadaqah is a sunnah. And now we've even seen the growth of, for example, Islamic Relief, Anwar is here, to allow people as a charitable vehicle to give their zakah. That never happened before the time of... You couldn't pay zakah online in the time of the Prophet You couldn't pay zakat al-fitr online. So this is bid'ah, mahmuda. Why? Because it has facilitated ibadah. It has facilitated a maslaha, which is to serve the poor. So now you can see where this goes. And most of this is going to be based on maqasid al-shari'ah. Preservation of religion. Care as an idea, as a group, or any of these organizations, right, like care, which are defending the rights of Muslims. Uh, even, even when I first became Muslim, no one can even imagine something like that. فَهَذِهِ بِدْعَةً حَسَنًا because defending the Muslims is an obligation. There you go. Making sure that people can pay their zakat. That's an obligation. This is a qawaid. In diraj, the idea of Islamic relief now falls under the general principles of accomplishing an obligation. Under the general principles of accomplishing a sunnah. So those general ideas, what are called the qawaid, is how these are approached. And that's a broader discussion. The same thing applies to the what's considered makru, and then the same thing applies to what is going to be considered permissible. That takes us now, inshallah, to a rather interesting discussion, and my apologies, but I feel this issue is very important, man. And that's why I'm trying to go into such detail. And this will be recorded and posted. I'm recording it now professionally for YouTube, inshallah, so you can watch over there also. So don't worry about having to take so many notes. Just enjoy also. And I haven't been able to see the chat box. My, my apologies. Alhamdulillah. Oh, Ahsan. MashaAllah. Dang, dude. Ahsan got that. He's writing a book. What are the evidences for the majority of Sunnis who say that Sunnah is divided into two and that those two fall under the five general rulings of Islam? What are their evidences? Let's go through them quickly. The first evidence is in Surah Al-Hadid, verse 28. Surah Al-Hadid, verse 28. Allah says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about the followers of Jesus. He said, the monk-type life, which they invented. We did not prescribe it for them. Pay attention to the verse. That this monk lifestyle which they invented, we did not command it. 
But they did it seeking Allah only. And those who came after them did not follow that bid'ah like those who did before them. What? Pay attention to this verse. They invented this, these kind of extra acts of qurba to draw near to Allah from the foundations of what Jesus left. They begin to do even more things, mashallah, good things. We did not, that's not what we sent to them. But then it says, But those who came after them did not shepherd that bid'ah like those before them. And we gave them the 27th verses and we rewarded them. Would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward people for bad bid'ah? Would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward people who, who did bad bid'ah or good bid'ah? So obviously what they did was good. Even though it was not explicitly found in their book. That's what the verse says. Then we can look at the tafsir of our scholars. In fact, one of the companions of the Prophet, Abu Umama al-Bahiri, radiallahu anhu, who says, مَعْنَ الْآيَةِ لَمْ نَكْتُبْهَا عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَمْ يَبْتَدِعُوهَا إِلَّا بَتِغَاءَ رِضْوَانِ اللَّهِ فَعَاتَبَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِتَرْكِهَا Ya Allah! Imam uh, Sayyidina Abu Umama al-Bahiri, the Sahabi, Listen to what he says. He says, meaning that God did not prescribe that for them and that they did not do this bid'ah except they wanted to draw nearer to Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, atabahum, he refuted them for not maintaining the bid'ah. That's the meaning. So what does it mean then? It's there in the Quran. وَقَالَ الْحَارِثُ الْمُحَاسِبِي One of the great Imams, he said, فَذَمَّهُمُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ بِتَرْكِي رِعَيَةِ مَا بْتَدَعُوا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reputed, reputed them for not maintaining that good bid'ah that they started. There it is. Right there. It's right in the Qur'an. There's no need now. Uh, I don't know, brother, I heard that. No, it's there in the Qur'an. So we have a very important principle that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an, if it's wrong, Allah will tell us it's wrong. It's very clear. Hamim wal kitab mubin. So you don't have to attack your fellow Muslim brothers and sisters who follow bid'ah hasana in a way as though they have no evidence and no support when this is the opinion of the majority of Sunnis and the dalil for it is found in the Qur'an and Sunnah, which you claim to passionately cling to. So the first evidence in Surah Al-Hadid, MashaAllah, verse number huh, 20, 28. That's why Imam Al-Qurtubi, he says in his tafsir, يَقُولُ إِبْتِدَاعُهَا هَؤُلَاءِ إِبْتَدَعَهَا هَؤُلَاءِ الصَّالِحُونَ 
Imam Al-Qutubi says that this bid'ah was done by the righteous people. فَمَا رَعَوْهَا حَقَّ رِعَايَتِهَا الْمُتَأَخِرُونَ مِنْهُمْ He said that in the, the, the people who came after them failed to maintain it. حَقَّ رِعَايَتِهَا فَآتَيْنَا الَّذِينَ آبَنُوا مِنْهُمْ أَجْرَهُمْ يعني الذين ابتدعوها أولا ورعوها Imam Ibn Al-Qurtubi he says that Allah rewarded those who invented it and maintained it on the way of righteousness. This is Qurtubi. This is not Suhaib, not some weird Sufi sheikh, not... لا لا. This is ما قال Imam Al-Qurtubi رضي الله تعالى عنه وقال Imam Ibn Juzay Al-Kalbi Al-Maliki Oh man. Someone's yelling at me. Here's another bid'ah. Yes, Habibti, ahlan biki wa... Oh man, you guys are gonna get me in trouble. I'm about to lose my dad license. Someone wants to hang out. Now we're gonna quote Imam Ibn Juzay al-Mariki. Radiallahu anhu. May Allah bless my wife, mashallah. Incredible, incredible person with incredible patience. Imam Ibn Juzay al-Kalbi, who died 741 after Hijri, we actually teach his tasheel at Swiss, my school. He says, وَمَعْنَ إِبْتَدَعُوهَا أَيْ أَحْدَثُوهَا مِنْ غَيْرِ أَنْ يَشْرَعَهَا اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ لَهُمْ He says, what that means is that they did something which was not explicitly legislated by God. Meaning, indiraj تَحْتَ الْقَوَاعِدْ It came from the foundations of the religion if not explicitly addressed. Naam. He says, فَبِذَارِكَ إِبْتَدَعُوهَا سِفَةُ لِلْرَهْبَانِيَةِ And that's why it says, وَجَعَلَ وَرَهْبَانِيَةَ إِبْتَدَعُوهَا He says, وَرَهْبَانِيَةَ إِبْتَدَعُوهَا It's very clear. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, that this was not something prescribed by him. 